Greetings, troubled listeners, and welcome back to the Troubled Men Podcast. I am Renee Komen, still sitting in my safe house, on the line with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times, and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, what's up? What's happening? What's going on, as they say? I don't know. You know, I seem to have turned the corner. I'm, I'm feeling pretty upbeat. I mean, for no good reason, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just going by, uh, taking my own temperature here and it's, uh, it's a uh, 98.6. So I'm, I'm you know, it's all, it's all thumbs up. That's good. How about you? I'm, uh, I'm, you know, I, I'm feeling a lot better than I was a week ago. Thank um, God. You were a little I'm under getting... the weather there. Yeah. What's that? You were a little, un- I said, thank God you yeah, were a little uh, under the weather. Yeah, I was a little under the weather. I had that sinus infection, which uh, caused me to be bedridden for a few days. Uh, and it wasn't, it was only that. It wasn't anything else like COVID or anything like that. Okay. But, uh, not chlamydia. You know, uh, uh, no, not chlamydia. <laughs> it wasn't VD. It wasn't VD or anything okay. like that. Open uh, nose. <laughs> yeah, VD of the nose. Yeah, I, I, I would have been. Uh, It'd be like Michael Douglas's excuse for throat cancer is because he went down on his wife too much. Right, right, right. Bad piece of pussy, he said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's what he said, you know. But anyway, uh, uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, I've actually, I realized something uh, today. There's a couple of things that have gone on this past 48 hours that are crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh, About, what's today, Thursday? So last Sunday... Uh, I'm brushing my teeth and usually when I brush my teeth and I rinse, there's always a lot of blood. Okay. Know? Yeah. Cause <laughs> I have, bad, a... yeah, I have bad gums and stuff and I'm Yikes. supposed to see a, a periodontist about it and stuff like that. But on Sunday I'm brushing my teeth and I'm rinsing and there's nothing. Huh. And then Monday I brush my teeth, nothing. Miracle. It's a mirror. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but I haven't, my gums have not been bleeding since last Sunday. This past from five, going on five days now, my gums are not bleeding. He's healed. Well, you know, I, you had that antibiotic uh, uh, prescription. See, that, that was my, I was going to bring that up. I, you know, okay. I took those antibiotics for my uh, sinus thing. So maybe it helped with my gums. Could be, you know? man. You know, I don't know what it is. I'm not. Uh, I, I'm not uh, Michael Douglas. You know. Right. I, I, so uh, I, I just. It's a. It's a. It's a miracle, as they say. A miracle. <laughs> it still do happen. Amen. Nice. You know, nice. You know what's another miracle? Tell me. Is that I realize I'm driving home from work today, and I'm looking at my gas gauge, mm. and. And I realized since this all started back in March when they quarantined everybody and I was off of work for a couple of weeks and just going back, back to work and f- back and forth, I've only had to put gas in my car once. Nice. But tomorrow I'm going to have to fill up. Okay. But, so that's an amazing thing. It really well, is you know, amazing. They- yeah, they say all these cities, you know, the the smog disappeared, you know, as as people drove less. And I guess you were contributing to that uh, clearing of the skies, Manny. I, I guess so. <laughs> I, I think it's amazing. Uh, 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 it's you know, it's it's good for the pocketbook, I guess. You know, 
You know? Not yeah, for the oil long, company. Yeah, yeah, it's long, yeah. oil stock, right? Oh, fuck them, man. I give of a course. Fuck them. Yeah, yeah. You know? Know. All right, as they say down here, the Earl Company. Right. Earl. Earl. Not, not Earl. the oil company. Yeah. Earl. Yeah, right. the Earl Company. You know, uh, a funny thing when you say that about Earl, I remember when I first moved here, when I first moved to New Orleans 20 years ago, I was at the local market. And uh, this little old lady came up to me. I was doing some shopping. She came up to me, and she kept asking me where the furrow was. Where the furrow? <laughs> and me being from you know West LA, you know, I was like, what, what, what furrow? What what, what's furrow? <laughs> and then she she got so she got so upset with me. She said, furrow. Furl, the aluminum furl. Furl. I was like, oh, <laughs> oil. All right. Yeah, now I understand what the hell you're saying, lady. Don't get mad at me. You know? So it's crazy. It's crazy. And yeah. uh, uh, also I wanted to bring up, Renee, before we mm-hmm. get to our guest. Right. Because he's excited. I can tell he's excited right now. Our guest. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's got a lot of energy. He's got a lot of energy. Um, we like that. Remember you said uh, uh, on last week's show, I think it was last week, about this uh, uh, documentary you saw about Walter Mercado? Yes. Yeah, Walter. Well, see, and I didn't know who the hell you were talking about. Remember uh-huh. that? I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What that the, was last the week. fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Right. Well, see, the, and I looked it up, and the reason why I didn't know who the fuck you were talking about, because I knew him as Shanti. Oh, His name okay. Shanti Arande. Right, yeah, 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 stage name, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's how I knew Walter Mercado. I knew him okay. as Shanti. Oh, so okay. when you said that, when I figured that out, I was like, oh, okay, well, I got to check this out, man. Uh-huh. You know, he, you know and, and I, re- I remember him as being like a, a, a real freak. Like, oh, yeah. A freak, man. Yeah, he's got a, he's got a big personality for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a freaking freak, and, and uh, he... He was a, basically he had this. He was an astro- astrologer or something. But I just remember him seeing him like on like these uh, Univision shows, dancing mm-hmm. and acting mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Right. You know, I don't know much about his being an astrological forecaster. Did you yeah. watch the documentary? No, I haven't had a chance. No. Oh, you got you'll you'll dig it, man. If you have memories of the guy, it's uh yeah. Apparently, before he became an astrologer, he had a a long career as an actor. Was in a lot of uh, TV novellas, right? And, uh, and a trained dancer, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, quite a a handsome young man. I mean, he was he was born like in the 30s, like 1932, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So he had a, a long career and you know in uh, Puerto Rican television before he just kind of happened on to the career of you know he was just into astrology as a hobby and he was this kind of flamboyant character and and mm. a program director just asked him hey could you do like 15 minutes of this astrology program just to fill in and he was <laughs> did such a good job the guy said man could you come back tomorrow and and within a week, he had a 15-minute show every day. Within a month, he had an hour show five days a week. And it became, like, the biggest show in, in Puerto Rico. And then they started, oh. you know, exporting it to other uh, Spanish-speaking markets. And it, was, it became a whole global phenomenon in the, in the, in the uh, Spanish-speaking world. Yeah. So, I, 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 I remember being as a young kid and uh, 
and, and going over to my grandparents' house, and my grandmother would watch those novellas constantly. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing, that's how I first noticed this guy. And then as I got older, a young man, I'd still go visit my grandparents, have dinner with them. And she, my grandmother would say, dinner's over, we've got to watch so-and-so novella. And <laughs> Shanti was on it, you know, he was on a lot of them. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Um, the great thing about those Spanish novellas, mm-hmm. not like the American soap operas, the great thing about those, the, the, the Spanish ones is that they actually end. There's an ending yeah. to them. Okay. They run for like 10 to 15 weeks, and then they finally end. Whereas, like, you know, we got uh, Young and the Restless, which has been going on since the early 70s. You know, that right, kind of right, right. I Never see an ending, mean. you know. <laughs> and the best I noticed by watching those with my grandmother um, was that, uh, you know, they're very, a lot of them were very low budget, you know, kind of uh, soap opera or novellas. And uh, you would, uh, they would borrow canned, uh, like, music, you know? Okay. For the background, you know, for the background. Of, and I'll never forget, I was at my grandmother's house, and we're watching one together after dinner. And I go, I know this music that's on the background. I go, I know this fucking music. What is this music from? And it took me a while, and I realized it was the soundtrack to the movie Taxi Driver. <laughs> really? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this fucking like like hardcore like dramatic scene between these two Latino actors and they're fighting over a woman and it's a Ber- Bernard Herman score in the background. It's Taxi Driver. Okay. <laughs> it's like whoa. They figured out no nobody will ever catch us. Nobody will ever and, and if they yeah. do what are they going to sue us for? We don't have anything. So Well, yeah, exactly. Who's going to, you know, Bernard Herman's dead. I don't know who owns the rights. Maybe uh, Columbia Pictures, who produced the film, owns the uh-huh. rights. You know, but you know who fucking knows. But that was so hilarious because when I realized it, I'm looking at my grandmother, who's so focused on this novella, and I go, I, I just wanted to tell her, you know, this music uh, is from a movie about a a, a, a madman. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was crazy, but uh, so. Yeah, it's all good. What's been going on with you? you? Everything's fine. Your family's good. Yeah, everybody's good. You know, had uh, I got one one child in uh, in Nashville visiting friends. I had another child that was out in uh, California visiting a, another friend for a while. Uh, now now he's returned. So uh, how old are your kids? Uh, they're uh, twenty one and nineteen. Oh, hey, so, okay. So yeah, they're 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 adults. Were they were they practicing the the distancing and the math? <laughs> and they they went on a plane and all that. Well, uh, my son flew on a plane. My daughter drove one of our cars up to Nashville. So he was being very careful. Uh, when he got there, he took a a, a COVID test and tested negative. Uh, he tried to take one today after he got back and he, I guess, got there a little late. He's got to go in tomorrow and and uh, actually get it done. But he's, you know, we're kind of doing some distancing within the home you know it's uh so we'll see i'm taking a bit of a chance but uh, I, f- I feel pretty pretty safe where did well, you, you know, go in california i uh, went to la you know you're returned to your hometown and uh just he was there you know hanging around doing some hiking I actually took a drive up to uh sequoia national park and uh, the, the redwoods and uh you know, I was just hiking around the, the, the hills of the there. woods, it sounds like there's birds in the background on this. That's yes, I, I, I live there. That's where I live there. 
I you think our guest is, is up I in a bird, in a bird house. cage. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's up in a tree house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the honeycomb hideout. <laughs> no, I'm right here where I grew up in right Long on. Beach. I yeah, we're going to yeah. get to all that. Absolutely. It's exciting. <laughs> all right. Well, let's introduce this cat, okay? Okay. Well, you know, I had a couple of, of housekeeping okay. notes that I wanted to catch up with, you know, a couple uh -huh. of Mia Culpas. Uh, last uh -huh. week, we had uh, our, our guest, uh, uh, Mark Bingham, was yeah. searching for a name. He was trying. He was telling the story about being with uh, John John uh, Kale and somebody else and was trying to come up with the name of a, a crooked allegedly crooked uh, uh, record business guy in, in New Jersey. And yeah. the name he was looking for was Morris Levy. Morris Levy was the oh, name. Levy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He, he was saying, he was going, Howard Levy's like, no, that's the harmonica player. And he's going through <laughs> it. And then he couldn't ever, he goes, oh, it doesn't matter. Then turns out he texts me after the show. He goes, Morris Levy. Okay. So the, <laughs> um, moving on. Uh, editing the show last week, um, listening to myself, I think I was a little bit too loaded by the end. You know, if I had to, if I had to uh, you know, give myself a note, I'd say, you know, I'm kind of a generous bartender, but, uh, you know, uh, maybe I'm not known for my restraint, so I'll try to try to do better this time and uh, Why? Pay, Why? pace you myself. Okay, okay. Yeah, all right, all right, you're okay. Good. It's all, all right, good. Well, all right, I'm well, on you, my Manny. third drink right now, and it's only 7:45. Okay, man. Okay, yeah. Well, yeah. I don't even can, touch anything until well, after five, and I got to be at home setting steel. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. <laughs> okay, well, uh, uh, so should we get to our guest? Yeah. Uh, yes, because uh, yes, he's he's raring to go. Um, oh. <laughs> well, so so our our guest, uh, he's a he's a multi platinum selling uh, recording artist. He's hmm. a, a drummer, <laughs> singer, songwriter. Uh, he's a founding member of the the legendary funk Latin band War. Uh, huh. Without without further ado. The great Mr. Harold Brown. Welcome, Harold. Well, you know, down there, you know, you don't say Harold, you say Harold. Okay, well, <laughs> by the end of the podcast, I'll, I'll be saying all kinds of things, you know. Harold. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was down there, yeah, I was down there with a Sun Pie one time. We was doing on Bruce Sun Pie Barnes. Sure, yeah. We was over in Mississippi and we was doing a show out on this uh, ranch, a farm, you know, and Mm -hmm. I walked up and one of the guys looked at me and said, what's your name? What's your name? I said, Harold Brown. Eh? Eh? Harold Brown and Bruce Sunpire Barnes stepped forward and said, you know, Hal. Hal. Ha I said, why didn't you say Hal? <laughs> <laughs> but, well, so, you, you, but do people call you Ray also? Well, they just call me uh, Uncle HB or, or they got other names for me. Woo. Okay. I've had people say, here come chicken shit. They're calling me fascist. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> no, because I get the work done. Right. You know? There you go. Oh, there you go. I get wow. the work done. You give it to me, I'm going to get it done. It's like my mother told me she, two things about you, son. You are a Californian, and you're too honest. Okay, mama. <laughs> so that's what I got to live with, you know, and I just, uh, you know, try to show love, be respectful to people. If you want respect, you got to give respect. Yeah, you can't right. just assume, you know. Uh, right. Today I was at the bank and uh, this little lady in front of me, she's probably, I don't know, I'm guesstimating, she's probably maybe 75, maybe 80, but she could hardly stand up. So we had to stand in line. I said, you sit down, I'm saving your spot. So we kept oh. on going, you know, and mm -hmm. I kept saving her spot. One guy kind of looked at me and told me, like, you should move forward. I said, no, 
the lady over here, she can't stand. You right. know, so we have to pay attention to each other. And that's the most important thing. I know, like with myself, I drove right by where I grew up today. I went by there on the corner, 1095 East 21st Street, where I used to beat on my drums. But uh, I get these constant reminders. When I was seven years old, I used to lay up listening to this radio station. It was a Fox radio. It was back in 1957. 55 maybe or 56 57 i used to be listening to it wasn't it was a station where they played everybody's music might play fats domino johnny cash country and western blues you was hearing everything yeah johnny otis william the hand yeah and i'm listening as a kid and i used to fantasize for about an hour maybe two hours that i was a drummer uh -huh. And then the spirit came to me one night and says, what are you laying here? You're laying here for an hour, two hours every night fantasizing. Why don't you just go and spend an hour to two hours a day and you can become that? So yes. when I was seven years old, I knew I was going to be a famous musician. I <laughs> wow, lived my man. life that way. <laughs> well, nice. I remember, I remember because I'm from uh, like uh, the west side of LA, like Santa Monica, Mar Vista area. Yeah. And I remember, uh, my mom was also was born and raised in Santa Monica. Uh, she, she would listen. I would. I grew up listening to the Johnny Otis show. Yeah, Johnny Otis show, and it was such a great Johnny Otis. Johnny, Johnny Otis. Otis. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I, I. It was like I think it was on on Saturdays or Sundays, or whatever. But I, I'd look. I always felt so comfortable. And my mom would be dancing to the songs that he was playing because <laughs> she grew up with all that stuff. But you know, my. But on the other side, my dad was from the East Coast, and he was an opera singer. Oh, that's an interesting mix. Yeah, very well. He's a hardcore Italian and a hot-blooded Mexican got together, you know? Right. Well, they so, got the same bloodline. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and my dad, when he came to California, he used to sing for, uh, remember KMPC Radio? KMPC Radio? Sounds real familiar, yeah. Yeah, uh, he would sing on their Saturday night, like, uh, shows. You know, they'd have the singers come in and do, like, Frank Sinatra songs or whatever. Oh, yeah. um, a lot of my Italian buddies out in Palm Springs. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. Exactly. Well, so Harold, you, you, you grew up in, in Long Beach and, and uh, you're back there now. And I know th this year you, the, your band war is celebrating the 50th anniversary of your first record, right? Okay. Uh, yes. But see, there's not a catch to that. That so-called band war out there is not really war. It just got a name. Oh no, I know. I mean, but you were in the 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 room. Oh, I'm, the, I'm the one to get everybody paid. Right, right. I mean, <laughs> you you were you were you had a band, and and then and and uh, yeah, war. We're the found the founding member of the group war. Right, right. And so and Eric Burden and and uh, and Lee Oscar heard your band, and and uh, North Hop uh, on Ventura Boulevard to Ragdoll. Okay, and then out of out of uh, those two guys joined your band and became Eric Burden and War. Correct. We became Eric Burden and War. Because I just and, got off the phone with Lee, maybe, just before we spoke. I told him I had to take care of this. And uh, But see, it was a strange cycle, because when we came up, uh, you know, I gave up a full scholarship to Valparaiso University in 1964 from Long Beach Poly. Snoop Dogg went to Long Beach Poly. He graduated right. from there. A bunch of LBC. famous. Uh, yes. Oh, yeah, right. And so 
they wanted me to go to, you know, uh, to this uh, college, you know. And I said, mm-hmm. no, thank you. Because I was one of the top distance runners in the state of California. I would run over the top of Signal Hill and back every morning before I go to school. I would run from Rainbow Pier down to Huntington Beach. It was like my workouts. Okay. I used to race guys around the block on their bicycles, see if I could beat them back to the other side. So <laughs> <laughs> I drove down those streets today, this morning. So, you know, it's like I had this dream in my head that I wanted to be a musician and I want to be a famous musician. Right. So when I graduated from Long Beach Poly, right down the street at 333's Broadway, right down the street, I went by there today. That, mm-hmm. That's where I had my first business, June of 1964. So I started my own business, Body and Fender Auto Detail Shop, because I wanted to be the boss. If I had got a regular job, I would have to report to somebody and I couldn't just run off to Hollywood or go down the street, you know, or, you know, I couldn't do what I wanted to do. Right. So I had my own, obviously, you know, I had my own uh, business at 18. Well, I started making all kinds of monies because I had Hertz and Airways bringing their business to me from San Diego and from Santa Barbara and all around these areas, bringing the cars to me. So I hired the guy that taught me how to do it. So I made everybody, Howard Scott, who sang Cisco Kid, uh, some of the guys, Bobby Nichols, different guys are no longer living. So what I did, including Lonnie Jordan, just running around with uh, as War, the only original member in War, we went and I had everybody join Local 47, Musicians Union up on Vine Street. Okay. We walked in, Vince DeBerry, he handed, he handled all of the uh, local gigs, what do you say, casuals. He right. took a liking to us. He was the first trumpet. And whenever you hear Lucille Ball, the trumpet section, he was uh-huh. first trumpet player. He was first trumpet in that section. Oh, okay. So, so he liked, and he said, wow, we came in there dressed. We had our band jackets on. And I, I handled all the paper, the accounting, booking and stuff. And they started booking us. And we were playing the Whiskey A Go-Go, Gazzari's, the Palladium. We were one of the first black bands booked on the Sunset Strip. So we don't as, as war as war. No, we were oh. no, we were we were called the creators. The creators, okay. Because okay. we created music. There you go. We, we would play uh, like some of James Brown's songs or Bobby Blue Band or whomever. But when you get into the B section, you know, going to the you know, like James Brown used to do, we'd get into a jam and we would play everywhere. We'd go anywhere we wanted to go, and then we'd say, "Okay, back to the back to the bridge, back to the bridge, back to the head, back to the A part." And we go right. back there and we go back into the song. So we we learned how to jam. So we went, found ourselves open up by Ike and Tina Turner, the Righteous Brothers. I mean, a lot of them I've forgotten about. They come to me sometime. Yeah. And we was opening up for them. So, so well, you mentioned Ike. So I'm sure you, you, you know, you're around all kind of, uh, you know, all kind of uh, wild artists. It was, was, what was Ike like at that time? Was he a very, Hard driving guy, or uh, well, he was uh, they've all you know treated me well. I remember yep. he came up to my uh, I had an old mansion back up in the hills with my own ranch, you know, I had horses, goats, <laughs> all kind of stuff, birds, wow. <laughs> still got birds around me, right? And then uh, he would come, and then that's what always get me because Tina was a very strong woman, mm-hmm. so when they made that movie about him. Like, you know, he was all this and pushy and this and that. It kind of like, I didn't see him like that. 
I didn't feel him like that. Okay. Because he was a little guy. He's, you know, I'm only about five, six and a half, five, seven. Huh. And I weighed for like about a hundred and, you know, 60 pounds, 170. Uh-huh. And he was littler than me. <laughs> so, you know, when they had, they did that movie, I kind of look and said, nah. But then, you know, that's Hollywood. They try to right. get that thing going. And then so we wound up playing there. We, you know, we kept playing all these clubs. And then I was working with Bob Eubanks. Wow. CC Cinema Center. Well, uh, and let's see, September 1965, I believe it was about that time. We were playing in North Hollywood at his club, Cinnamon Cinder. That's Bob Eubanks from the Newlywed Game, right? Yeah, right. Bob Eubanks. So we're driving down. I'm in my 57 Chevy, Uh (laughs) Manny. (laughs) (laughs) Manny Chevy. (laughs) I've been called that too. Yeah, I've been called Manischewitz too. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> that is a good it? one. Let's have a toast to that. Clean. Yeah. <laughs> so then uh, I'm coming down. I got my 57 Chevy, bucket seats in it. Moses was on the right side. He's no longer living. We come off of the Harbor Freeway, coming right down Imperial Highway. And there right. I found myself right in the middle of the Watts Ride. bricks are flying everywhere none of them hit us nothing we was ducking you know you're talking about low riding we was way down in the seats (laughs) (laughs) but we had to go all the way across over toward norwalk somewhere then came on back around uh back towards compton and carson and so because the show must go on right the show must go on oh yeah so we got out of it you know and made it on back and then i was there and then so much happened because, see, we were, uh, you know, June, yeah, June, no, excuse me, about January, February of 1965, we was playing at the Basin Street East down in El Paso, Texas. Wow. wow. And we were, you know, the house band. Well, I was on, we were on the border trying to bring our rum across the Rio Grande when they busted Johnny Cash. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I'm sitting there. I remember all that stuff in his guitar case and stuff because he used yes. to be down there all the time. That's where he was at. Well, so, so wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. How do you get from uh, uh, Norwalk, California during the Watts riots to El Paso, Texas? Because I was that? down there. See, this is what happened. They, I got booked down there. You know, this guy wanted to, this guy. If you go Old Man Fulbright, uh-huh. Old Man Fulbright is one of the people who began the Zydeco music. Okay. And uh, and also rock and roll, you know, when they used to come driving from back down Highway 10 from down okay. south Mississippi, and they would come down, you know, down the Mississippi River from St. Louis, Chicago. They come into New Orleans and right there where you got uh, Mississippi, Highway 10 went along by the railroad tracks. And that's where all your blues stuff went along 10. That's mm-hmm. why I like got all them, uh, you know, rock, those blues guys and stuff like all through Texas and so forth. Okay. Okay, so old man Fulbright, we get this call. We go down there, and we're playing down there. And we're just, you know, opening up for people, and we'd go across the street. I mean, go into Mexico to get our dinner because we'd get a whole chicken for three fifty and share it. <laughs> <laughs> so then he says, you know, you guys are a great band. I got a young man. He, You'd be a great band for him. Otis Redding. We were supposed to be in Otis Redding's band. Really? Oh, wow. Right. A lot of people don't know, you know, that part. That's why I'm working on another book. So, 
Otis Redding, who's going to be Otis Redding's band. So Lonnie, who's out there with War Now, the only reason we didn't get that gig, we came back to California. We did a, a, a thing for, I think it was uh, Dorsey, not Dorsey, another uh, Los Angeles High School. We played the home, you know, the uh, graduation party. It was out there by the airport, LAX. I seen my buddy, Henry McKine, who went to St. Anthony right down the street from where I'm at now. He was in his full dress uniform. I had took a test for the Marine Corps June of 64, but the only thing to change the course of action for me, when I left out the post office after taking that, that test passing, I walked across the street, down the alley, I'm right down the street from it, and that's when I started my first business when I was only 18. Okay. And that, and have you ever heard of, I tell the kids, of the butterfly effect? Sure. Yeah, if the all hurricanes started in the Sahara. If the butterfly had went to the right instead of the left of the tree, there never would have been a Katrina. Okay, uh, right. Right. Okay, so when I took the test for the Marine Corps, I was all, you know, all of us come out feeling all up. I was a, you know, runner, you know, an athlete and stuff. And right. I come out, and that's when I started my business because a buddy of mine had graduated in front of me. He was about to lose his business. I had been saving money, and that's when I went in business for myself. My body and fender, auto detail shop, right down the street. So I went in there, so I didn't go back to get sworn in. Now, fast forward again, back to that January, let's see, to the June of 65. We came out here. We were supposed to be in Otis Redding's band, but we didn't get it because Lonnie was too young. His mother wouldn't let him go because okay. he hadn't finished school. Then my buddy Henry McKine was in his full dress uniform. He said, Harold, you could have had one of these. He left. We went back to El Paso with the bad news. We wasn't going to be able to do the gig. I mean, I'll take that old Redding day. Right. I come back September of 65. That whole platoon I was supposed to be with my buddy, Henry McKine, all hit the side of the mountain and killed everybody. Oh, Jesus. Oh, wow. Right over here in Santa Ana. I said, whoa, because I picked up the newspaper. And I said, wow, Henry McKine on the newspaper. It was Los Angeles Sentinel. I said, wow. There's Henry. He must have got fame. And then PFC, so and so, you know, Sergeant so and so. And then when I sat and I read that they all died on that plane crash, mm. that's when I hit the seat. I said, "Whoa, God must have another plan for me." Right there, you go. Yeah. Right. Little and did so, you know it was Eric Burden. And well, this I'm working today. This is what's <laughs> okay, interesting. Right. That's why you got to follow your your dream, not somebody else's. And right. then, as everybody know, a couple of years later, Otis Redding's plane crash. That was two plane crashes I missed. No kidding. Oh. Holy moly, man. That's right. Think That's about right. it. So then I go forward. So then Howard, Howard, all of a sudden, we was getting ready. They had booked us. We we're going to be playing the Thunderbird Hotel in Las Vegas, $500 each a week. Now, for young black men out of, you know, Compton, Long Beach, San Pedro, and whatever, yeah. that's good money. That's sure. great money. Right the 60s, absolutely. Started, yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden, that's when they started drafting guys for the Vietnam War. Hmm. Howard, my partner, the St. Cisco kid, we, he's two days older than me. He hmm. got drafted. I said, oh. Then a horn player, Bobby Nicholson, he's no longer living. He got drafted. I said, oh, man, just when this happened. So then I had to go back to running my business and stuff, and they got drafted, and business didn't quite go right. And then later on, I wind up being a Class A machinist, doing stuff for when they were shooting monkeys into outer space. 
and doing special <laughs> work. So they didn't want me. They didn't draft me. They put me to the side because I wanted to be in a class A machinist and so forth. Oh, so because of your your profession, they you you were you opted out of the draft, or they they, they opted me you. out because I was right, doing right. government work. They were shooting right, okay. monkeys in the outer space. All right. Wait, 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 wait. What's his name? Who sang Cisco Kid? Did he come back from Vietnam? Yeah, he came back. Howard. Oh, so then, okay. so he was he was there, and then I was uh, working over there in Carson, something. And then I got the message. His tank had flipped on his side. I started crying like a baby. Oh, wow. my buddy, my best buddy, right? Yeah. So he survived it. So wow. finally, he comes back from the military, from the army. He comes in. And I, he was getting ready to take a job over to the one, the medical thing at, over in Torrance, California. Yeah. Uh-huh. So then, <laughs> excuse me. So then I said, Howard, because I was making like time and a half. I was making probably about $400 a week. Machinists, they was paying me close to $8, $10 an hour back then. We're talking right. like 19, you know, 68. Yeah, you know? that's so, good money. That's good money. Minimum so wage was what, 45 cents or something? Yeah, probably uh, three, six, <laughs> 55 or something. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so then, yeah, I think it was $4.65 or something because Howard was getting ready to go take a job. And I said, Howard, let's try it one more time. And if we don't succeed, then we'll both go our ways. So we started going after again. So what I did, I sold off all of my uh, machinist tools and stuff. So when things got rough, they couldn't, you know, I wouldn't feel like uh, I had a way out, you know, punk out. Okay. So then what I did, I knew they couldn't kick me out of our house. I was buying a house out in Pomona, California, where I met Papa D. Allen in a gas station. <laughs> wow. <laughs> out on Route 66 in Pomona. He was in a gas station beating on his gunga. <laughs> so then I said, you know, I said, well, they can't kick me out the house for a year before they can foreclose. So I'm going to take a gamble. I don't play slot machines. I don't play the whatever them scratch offs and stuff. Right. But I gamble on me. There you okay. Go. I gamble on me. So I said, okay, well, they can't kick us out of this house. At the time, I was married to Doe. We have three beautiful kids. They, you know, grown now. Uh, Harold Ray Brown II, he lives in Budapest. Wow. Uh, my son, Daryl Lewis Brown, he lives in Japan. He's an excellent drummer. He's a better drummer than me. And my daughter, uh, uh, Janice, she works with Disney and stuff and so forth. So I've been blessed, you know. Nice. So, so then all of a sudden I said, let's do this. So I went and I got me a set of drums from Spiegel's catalog, a set of pearls. I paid $199 for them drums. People would laugh at me when I went up there to Hollywood and in the studio. But they get, I got the last laugh because I'll tell you what. When you hear Spill the Wine, my first hit, I did it on them $199 drums, okay? Right on, right on. Yeah, it's, it's not the instrument, it's the player, man. It's yeah, the yeah. player. That's what I try to convey to the kids. Well, if I had this, or if I had this. Well, uh, let me ask you something, Harold. Let me, let me stop you for a second. Uh, you mentioned Spill the Wine. Dig, you know, Spill the Wine, dig that girl. Forever, what the hell does that fucking mean? <laughs> uh, dig that girl, spill the wine, take that girl, dig that girl. That, you know, you like her, you love her, dig her. 
<laughs> okay, so dro- drop your glass. <laughs> Basically, drop your glass of wine and go for that. <laughs> go for it. You both, you both get together and spill some wine. <laughs> okay. I mean, I remember, I remember as a kid hearing that song, you know, with my f- neighborhood friends on the street. We'd be on the porch playing tag or football, whatever, and we'd have the, the music blaring. And for me as a young kid, when that song came out, when when he said "Naked to the World," "Naked to the World," that was uh, yeah, that was uh, that other song. But you I hear thought, I thought to me as a young kid, I was maybe nine, ten years old or whatever. I thought, "Wow, he just said that." He <laughs> said "Naked to the World." That's well, crazy. Well, I see a guy, naked guy, walking down the street the other day, just walking down the street. Well, yeah. <laughs> Well, as I got older and started going <laughs> hanging out in the Hollywood scene, you know, that was normal. That's normal. And in the sixties, that was very normal. In the seventies, very normal. But now the the people you see running around naked are usually, you know, uh, on too much of something. You know? Something. But you know, I want, yeah, I want to go back to this now. When I was down to my last seven dollars, we wasn't getting anywhere. And I went to go look for a job, and this before they had affirmative action. I went up in Thousand Oaks looking for a job at Thrifty's, thinking that, well, I'd make a great manager in a you know, Thrifty drugstore. They looked mm-hmm. and said, you're the wrong one. Go down there, uh, down to Dorsey High, down in the Crenshaw area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm coming down the hill, and I got $7 on me. To this day, I carry $7 on me. Because I was down to my last $7 when my luck changed. Wow. I come down the hill. And I cut down, you know, and I had to use the bathroom. I need to take a pee. So I took off, came up on Sunset. Marshall Lieb, Marshall Lieb Scott, he produced What the World Needs Now, Love, Sweet Love, Last right. Night, da, 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 da. Well, he used to always have me doing a lot of overdubbing on drums. Oh. So I come up Sunset, right across from Hollywood High. At that time was Liberty Records. I went there looking for him. He wasn't there. Lady looked like Lucille Ball and stuff. He's not here. He's down at Jim Head Productions, down on uh, Doheny and Sunset, 9,000 building. I go down there and go up to another lady, look like Lucille Ball. <laughs> He's not here. You see that little white house down there? It's, it's, it's no, not there anymore. It's over by the you know, Rainbow, Whiskey Go-Go and all that. And I go over there. And I seen this lady talking. I could hear Marshall in the back talking. And I go back to the back. She said, you can't go back to you can't. I said, no, he wanna see me. I went back there. Marshall says, Harold, Harold, I've been thinking about you. A Sonny, this is Harold Brown. Harold Brown, this is Sonny Bono. Hello, come on now. Oh. Oh, see, there's been my path has been laid out for me. Nice. <laughs> you gotta just follow it. So then I- I What's thought that? he was going to ask you for seven dollars. No, no, I was probably down. I'm probably down to about mm, four ninety nine because by the time you put uh, four gallons of gas in your car, which is about twenty three, twenty five Cent. cents a gallon, yeah, yeah, and then a, a burrito and a coke is a dollar. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. So then I come on out. He says, "Come with me." So I go down there, and we went down there. Uh, to, what is that? The uh, oh heck, I can't think of it. it was a studio there. Uh, it was a famous DJ. But anyway, they're on Fa- Fairfax and Sunset. Art LeBeau studio. Oh, so I go down there. And, I, and we go upstairs, you know, and all of a sudden he gets a call. 
Oh, Timmy, you need a drummer? I got one of the best in, in here right now. So I go down towards Beverly Hills. I go up King's Drive. I get there. Who was it? It was Timmy Ural, the famous jazz singer. Okay. But then all of a sudden I see these guys say, well, we need this. Well, we need guitar picks. We need I said, I'm not leaving my band to go with these guys. I go back down the hill, our LeBeau studio. I see this little guy crying on the steps. Oh, they always do this. Take my band. It was R.B. Grease before he had his first hit record. Sent a letter to Maria. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, you see I how that <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So then I say, what, you got gigs? I got a band. I run back over on the corner. It was a gas station, hamburger. I call up Howard and said, get the band together because our luck is changing. Boom. So then we went. That's when we were the night shifts. And then after the night shifts, that's when Deacon Jones, the football player, wound up in our group. Oh, wow. And a lot of the, and the and the girls are backup singers wound up singing with Dr. John on all that stuff. He was the goo goo, you know. Those are the girls wound up with Dr. John. Okay. Okay, so then we're up there playing and stuff, and then one day and this uh uh bass player I had, Peter Rosen, kept saying he had a good friend, his name is Eric Burton. He's gonna come see us one day. And it was our last night there at the Ragdoll up on Ventura Boulevard, and then all of a sudden that's when I seen this little skinny guy come with an afro bigger than mine. Can I play my harmonica? Can I play my harmonica? Can I play my harmonica? He came up on stage and we jammed for about 60 minutes straight. Everybody was standing up, hollering and stuff. Then after that, you know, our brothers, we back to high five and stuff. And we got on back there. And then all of a sudden, Jerry Goldstein, he came back and said, wow, you guys are really great. Let's get together. So then... That was approximately, I, you know, I get the exact dates for you, but that was, let's see, June, we got did our first, June 6th and 7th, our first date. So that had to be about February of 1969. Okay. Yeah, about February of 1969. So then we uh, met up in Laurel Canyon, and that's when I first seen Eric Burton, knew who he was. He was out by the pool, had on his, uh, you know, his, uh, I guess his, black Hollywood swimsuit and with his Ray-Bans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we started kicking it. And then uh, that following day, we met up over there uh, off a of rodeo road. And then that's when we got up there. And then that's when Steve Gold was our first manager. He looked at it and said, look like you guys just came out of a war. <laughs> I got a great idea. We're going to name you War. Excellent. Oh, okay. That's and then how, that's how the it name. came about. So the thing was, Eric Burton in war. So we we're gonna. It was like when they shot the Sputnik in outer space. There you go. Eric was the rocket to take us out, spill the wine, and when we did our first album with Eric, and then release us, and we became our own entity, War. And that's how that happened. Yeah, man. God, you guys started having hits right out of the box, man. And it just what a what a stream of of classic recordings man it's it's and we want to get into all that in in a in a, in a bit but manny i'm i'm looking at the old clock and and yeah. and my my drink and yeah, i think we need this to is Harold. we usually take a break and to get like a, a beverage and so our troubled nation can also get a beverage and we'll be back in about 60 seconds and we're back back with mr manny chevrolet i am renee coman back with our guest Mr. Harold Brown from the great band War. Uh, Manny, uh, you want to 
tell Harold and the nation about uh, our, our ongoing uh, relationship with the great product, uh, VeloBar CBD? Yes, I do. We'll just take a, a few seconds here. Uh, nation, if you're if you're if you've listened to the show before, you know about this great product that is endorsing us, and we're endorsing them. It's called the Velo Bar. The Velo Bar is um, it's a CBD bar. It's got 25 milligrams of CBD per bar. It's a perfect dose to take the edge off whatever you're dealing with right now. And <laughs> boy, are we dealing with a lot of shit right now? Oh boy. You know, it's a healthy protein bar that will fill you up and calm you down. Um, it's amazing. And it, it, who doesn't need to be calmed down lately? I know I do. I, I get excited. Uh, you know, uh, uh, it's oh, crazy. Yeah. People are freaking the, the fuck out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a plant-based protein bar from healthy superfood ingredients like pumpkin seeds, hemp hearts, and chia seeds. And two great flavors right now. And I think they're going to make more. But there's a dark chocolate and peanut butter flavor, and it's a it's a great breakfast bar, and I think I told you this, Renee. I'm hooked on them. I love them. <laughs> you know, they're great. You know, they're fucking great. And uh, and and right now, right now, Nation, Troubled Nation, if you go to VeloBarCBD.com and make an order, you can get fifty percent off your order if you use the Troubled Man code, which is Troubled Men One Five. Get fifteen percent off your order. If you use that promo code and you get free shipping, free nice. fucking shipping, man. It's a great thing. And, you know, we had the CEO of the, of, of the company on our show a few weeks back. Yes. He's a great guy and, and, and he's trying to do good by this company. He wants to, uh, I don't, I, I, he wants to hire uh, uh, people who want to work for the company. He wants to hire uh, uh, yes, minorities and stuff like that. And, He's, People he's that have been victims of the drug war. Yes, he yeah. has a very, very uh, uh, forward-thinking uh, uh, promotional, uh, you know, social right. justice agenda. In, that's in what mind. I wanted to say. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's yes. what I wanted to say. Um, but so check it out. So go to their website, velobarcbd.com. You'll love these bars. You won't regret it. I mean, they're fantastic. Uh, and yes. uh, that's all I got to say. Right on. And as always, uh, Troubled Nation, you know, if you want to support the Troubled Men podcast directly, you can uh, click on the link in the show notes or in the Facebook page and, uh, you know, buy us a drink and, you know, buy yourself one while you're at it. <laughs> there you so, go. Uh, so, Harold, we were uh -huh. just at the point where you you just recorded uh, your or you were just recording your first record with Eric Burden. And then so you, you made a couple of records and I'm looking at the the uh, the the years that you recorded those records and man, you guys worked your asses off. It's like, so you made two records in 1970, uh, two in 1971, then, a, then one in 72, 73, 75, 76, another in 76. It's like, it's like in 16 years, you got, no, you <laughs> made in 13 years, you recorded 16 records, man. It's, it's, the full, well, not, you know, that was singles, a, LPs, that was a record deal. Length, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a record deal. <laughs> and you had hits throughout all those, you know, slipping into darkness. You know, the world is a ghetto. You know, Cisco Kid, Lowrider. You know, it uh, just goes on and on and on. Most bands would be happy to have one or two of those classic songs. Those aren't songs that were just hits then. They're songs that were huge hits then, but everyone knows now they seem like they've always been there to us, you know, but this is something you created, man. It's what a, what an incredible accomplishment, man. 
Well, you know, one it was all of us. It was a combination of people. Because, you know, with uh, Howard Scott, Lee Oscar, Morris Dickerson, a bass player, he's the one that sung World is a Ghetto. Now, see, there's mm-hmm. an interesting thing. Morris Dickerson, the, our bass player, uh, Howard Scott is his uncle. Okay. And then Howard and B.B. and myself, I remember when Howard's daddy, B.B.'s daddy, my daddy used to take us to gigs. We couldn't even drive. Really? Yeah, we were around each other like in 1962. Yeah, because like you and B.B. have been friends <laughs> and playing together since you were like 15 years old, right? Exactly. And B.B. might have even been younger than us. And then that's okay. why we had such a tight fit. And then, uh, as I mentioned, Sylvester Allen, when Howard came back out to the military, I was out, I was living out in Pomona, and that's, I went to this gas station, and there was a gentleman in there beating on his kunga and his bongos at the same time. I said, okay. I see that. And that was uh, Sylvester Allen. We call him Papa D. Yep. And then uh, you got uh, Lonnie Jordan. Lonnie Jordan, he lived in Compton around, you know, a couple of blocks from Howard. Scott off of School Street, and then I told uh, Lonnie's mother, Edwina, I said, if you get Lonnie a keyboard, he'll be a famous keyboard player. We got him, she got him a Farfisa. Nice. And then Charles W. Miller, he's no longer living. Uh, he was from Kansas City, Olathe, but then he came and spent his senior years, I mean his uh, high school years, here in Long Beach. He went to Long Beach Poly, too. A side note, you know, he got, uh, you know, he got stabbed. He got killed. Mm. Uh, you know, yeah, he got stabbed seven times. He thought he was around friends, and they set him up. But oh, see, geez. there's the art of war. Sun Tzu says a good merchant does not reveal wares. If you, you know, sell diamonds and stuff, you don't want to be flashy. Right. And he was, you know, he'd, he'd like to dress real flashy, and he'd drive his uh, new uh, XKE or whatever, you know, his uh, Corvette. Uh-huh. And he'd be running, you know, in the same. You can't do that. I drive my old 98 Ford truck. Right on. Right to this day. Al Jarrell <laughs> cruised with me in it. <laughs> nice. nice. I was in my old van that I had built for the group. I was putting around in that. It runs like a clock. Yeah. It's a little paint job. but it runs. And then uh, uh, I had all people there. I mean, phew, MC Hammer in there. Uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Gladys Knight. Okay. <laughs> all of them rode in that van with me. So I'm not changing the seat covers. They're a little raggedy, but I ain't changing them. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. It's history, man. It's history. And, and so the, this thing was, you know, with uh, the combination of, you know, the seven band members, you know, Howard Scott, Lee Oscar, Morris Dickerson, Charles Miller, Sylvester Allen, Lonnie Jordan, and then with our team, Jerry Goldstein. He's our producer. Excellent. I love him. He owes us yep. money. I've been getting paid. But I love him. <laughs> you know, I wanted to ask you about that because you were talking about, you know, having having your ranch and in there in L.A. and all that. And I'm guessing that you guys actually didn't get ripped off a whole lot. Like it seems like y'all must have actually gotten paid. Well, we were getting paid, but uh, you know, it's fun. It's wild. See, I am the oldest out of six kids. And then I, when my parents was working, I had to have dinner ready. People had to do the homework, house clean, yard cut, so forth. Okay. And that was and you running I, all that, right? That was me doing that. And then when I was uh, a young man, I was in the Cub Scouts, Boy Scout, and Civil Air Patrol. And I was always the quartermaster. Mm. And even to this day, I'm the quartermaster. I set it all up. I I'm handled all the county. 
Yeah, I, yes. I, I handle all the accounting and stuff. I walked in the, the you know, the uh, tax people want to do a tax examination, my personal and quartermaster tours that I tour with, we tour with. Mm-hmm. I walked in, handed to them. They said, get out. Wow. The first person came up and had your stuff in order. Okay. Well, Harold, so- Her- Harold to, to, to add to what Renee said, uh, I noticed when I, I looked at uh, your bio and the band's bio, it looks like everyone got a writing credit. Yes. Everybody. Yeah, everyone. It's not like Lennon McCarthy. It's not like Daggers Richards. It's not like you know, uh, Simon and No Garfunkel. But everyone right. got a, a, a credit. Right. So, you know and how so that everyone, happened? Everyone got a lot of. Everyone got a taste of the money then. You right. Know, you know how that happened? Tell Let's go back that. to El Paso, Texas. Okay. Okay. And we were down there, and we and we didn't get the money and stuff we were supposed to get. So what I did, I told you we went over to Mexico and I. We'll get them chickens, we'd split them up. And right. we made a, a, a pledge between ourselves. Big boy hamburgers used to be about as big as a pancake. Right. And to get everybody home, I had to send home money. My parents for money sent me maybe a hundred bucks to pay to a hotel bill or whatever. And then I had to get everybody home. Well, by me being a quartermaster and stuff, we split all those hamburgers. Yeah. And then we made a pack. If any of us, we ever write a song, we split. Our song, just like we did that food. Nice. That's the way it should be. Because each one of us, because I couldn't have never done it without Howard. Okay, right. Howard came up with most of the lyrics and ideas for slipping in the darkness. But that groove, that that one that Tupac wanted me to play on his last album. Right. That wouldn't have been the same without without that. Yeah, that exactly wouldn't have been the same thing. Anything, right? And like with BB. And then with, with uh, Charles Miller and, and, and uh, Lee Oscar, those horn lines, or Lonnie Jordan. Yes. Well, yeah, you know, that songwriting as much as anything, man. And what it does is it keeps everybody on the same page and everybody pulling in the same direction so that you have not just one hit and, and one guy makes a bunch of money and then splits, but like an actual functioning organization. That's why you guys had so many hits, besides the fact that you're so talented. But you didn't have the infighting because everybody was pulling in the same direction. I know. We just had another major hit, China. It's a, okay. You had to pull it up. It's in Spanish. Huh. We had a big hit with that. <laughs> nice, man. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, you know, they did it. And we got a big hit. They sent us an ASCAP award. I, I got over at the school with the rest of my stuff. I'm gonna, I got most of my stuff stuck in boxes. <laughs> so, Harold, Harold, let me ask you this. I always thought war, you know, the war, the name of the band is war, what it is. But I always thought as I got older and stuff that you guys, you know, you guys were all from the streets. You guys all led like really rough lives. You probably grew up, and some of you guys probably grew up in some rough neighborhoods. Because I always felt just such like a like a, like it was the first kind of rap music, where rap music was kind of like a rebellious kind of thing from the streets, very urban and stuff like that. Is is that true? Is that true? No, I didn't feel like it. See, for some reason. Well, see, I was the uh, leader of, like, you know, our student body and stuff. And I, you know, I drove by where I was the president, you know, the youth clubs. Right. And I had never had a problem. I would go yeah. from Long Beach to San Pedro to Watts to Compton, South Long, and nobody ever bothered me. 
Okay, okay, I get it. Yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't get that. I even get it to you know, even today, and I can move like people look. A lot of people don't even know who I am. Sometimes they finally, finally give them a CD, and they say, "Get out of you! That I see you walking <laughs> down the street, and you." Because you're one, that guy. You're that guy. Yeah. Yeah. For one, I don't dress. I'm not flashy. I wear my old, you know, army-looking gray jeans, a white T-shirt, and got on my uh, eco sandals. You know, right. I'm not flashy. And then I, and then there's a certain way I can communicate with people because I have a lot of the young people who come over to me and they'll sit down and talk because they need to get some, you know, some advice. And by me mm-hmm. working here at First Lutheran School, where I learned to play drums, we were the first black family in the first hundred year period. And I got keys to the whole thing. We're getting ready to take our old school rather than refurbishing it, which it costs us, you know, over two and a half mil. We're going to take and build affordable housing. So that, you know, for multiple families, you know, for one, two, and three bedrooms. And then I want to, we're going to take and build a community center right on the same block to where kids can come. And then where we're going to, they were talking about building me a studio down in the old bomb shelter. You know what I'm going to call it? Bomb Shelter Studios. That's Boom. a good name. That's a good name. <laughs> so you're still involved with that Lutheran school that, that you went to elementary school in. That's so yeah. great, man. I can look out the window and I can see the steeple. And I wow. go stand right up there, right there when I got that other award the other week. I went stood in front of the uh, stage where I got my first award. It's a little broke down, but I held it up. And I also uh, just, you know, I can't get from where I come from. Yeah, right. I can't, you know. And so anytime well, Harold, I can get back. Let me ask you a question, Harold. What's is, is war in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? No. That's well, a that's crime. A, that's a crime. No, you know what I did? I told you I studied thermomodular nuclear computers back in 1983. Right? Yeah, well, you, you left music to go get a degree, right? Right, and I studied and I did my internship at the Los Angeles Police Department, the command center. Well, I became, I hacked into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. (laughs) 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 I posted, war should not be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame until the powers that be return the name to the rightful owners. And I got a call, that number you called me on, that 504, that number you called me on, they they called me on that number. I've had that number 35 years. Right on. And they called me the president, I'm the president of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, letting you know. War is nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but the original members, twice. They nominated us three times, but because Jerry Goldstein, I love him, and Lonnie got his little wannabes. They ain't wrote a hit yet. I wish they would, because that'd right. make more money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then so, uh, we, you know, they're not going to let them in there until they do right by the original guys. I mean, yes. They, they because, called me up and offered me a star on Hollywood Boulevard. I said, I don't want it. Keep it. Hmm. Pay us our money. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the, the original guys in the band that, that you, you have been playing with for a bunch of years go, are known uh, as the Lowrider Band because the name is, is controlled by someone else who's not the, most of the band. It's one guy. Right. In the, and, no, and Lonnie don't own it. He worked for the people that got owned and ripped us off of the name. <laughs> Jesus, man! But the but the actual 
original uh, surviving band members are the Lowrider Band, which when you see those guys with the iguanas played a date with you guys a few years ago, and it's like, yes, this is the shit, man. This is <laughs> this is the real shit here. Now, I wanted to ask you, you know, so it's a, it's a black band, but you guys had so much Latin influence. I mean, so so many of your songs are, you know, very much have that Latino, uh, you know, pulse, the clave, and, and well, all you know that. Why? Look, it's just from from Los Angeles and hearing that music on the radio and playing that with in the community. I don't know. Tell me. Okay, more so where I grew up, and Manny will tell you, because see, you know, his poke, you know, his parents, even though his daddy's, you know, Italian and mother Spanish, but that's still Calave. Right. It came over, you know, it started in uh, Yoruba, and it came over with the uh, conquest, you know, when they started coming. Okay, yeah. so being born here in Long Beach when I grew up. The closest black family to me was a half a block away. Bobby Montez lived across the street from me. Okay. Uh, I had Filipinos, Chinese, Lara Fukuhara, and them just came out to concentration camps. Yeah. And so I had I grew up listening in with Johnny Otis and then the Calaves and the you know, the different things. Right. That's what I was hearing. Okay. Yeah, it's a, melting, a melting pot. Exactly. Just like New Orleans. Yes. Right. A lot of people don't realize Long Beach, California, and New Orleans are sister cities. Oh, okay. <laughs> nice. Oh yeah. For show show. That makes sense. I could I could see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but when I was there, you know, working with the port authorities and all of them, and I and you know, I I, st- I became a professional tour guide in New Orleans. I studied all the cemeteries, I studied the architecture and the ports. <laughs> well, so well, you you're a student of history right uh, you yeah you, i'm in the history yeah because that you, tells me a lot <laughs> you have a you have a mind like a steel trap i was talking to you yesterday and and you know all these dates and stuff it's like jesus <laughs> christ how do you remember all that man <laughs> well no it keeps me you know it keeps me i read a lot i'm reading right. you know, different books right now but the thing is it's important see to more i i not jim crow history but our real history and then when yes. we understand our real history, then we understand that we're more like inside than we're on the outside. Right. Because I remember when I first moved to New Orleans, NOLA, mm-hmm. I remember I got there and I was walking around New Orleans, you know, I said, who in the hell is NOLA? I said, man, yeah. who is NOLA? And yeah, it was we New don't, Orleans. We don't, we don't re- usually really even say that. That's, that's <laughs> no. people from other places yeah. say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. NOLA. And then, and then, so then, and when I came, I left my mansion bacon. I went and lived in the projects, the hmm. Malpa, Maine. We call it the condominiums. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the condominiums. And these right. little black kids, this is like 19 when I first moved to New Orleans, about 2003, 2005, somewhere in there. Yeah. Right around Katrina. Yeah, well, no, no, I was there before that. Excuse me. 19. Okay. Uh, I moved to New in Orleans 80s, in 1986, right. 85, okay, yeah. yeah, 80, 85. Dang, time flies. And I'm down oh, yeah. there. I remember I was over there in the projects, you know, in the Congo, you know, in the, in the, Maine. Yeah, 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 the yeah, yeah. Maine. These little black kids came up to me and says, Mr. Mr. What your name is? What your name is? Harold Brown. Eh? Harold Brown. Y'all come here. What your name is, Mr. Harold Brown. He sound like a white man. <laughs> yeah. That's how they got me, you know. So then I started working with the kids there, you know. I set up that uh, Crescent City drumming camp. 
was right, flying. We used to teach all the kids and all the guys there. Come, we work with everybody teaching. Herman Ernest, oh, all yeah. those guys. Yeah, I miss him. And oh, no uh, kidding. I know it. A lot of good people, you know. Matter of fact, people still be contacting me. They want trying to get me to move back. I got property down there. Do you? Know, oh yeah, oh yeah, Mid City. Mid City. Okay. Yeah, that's where Manny is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Listen, yeah. Listen Harold. I want to touch on some stuff from, okay, from I'm ready. back. Okay, so war is is huge. You guys are huge, right? You know, and, and uh, uh, I I saw on 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 the on this research that I did that you you knew Jimi Hendrix. Oh yeah, yeah. And I want I want I want to know this. I want to hear this story because apparently you had you were in Europe, you were in England or something. Yeah, we were in Great Britain. Uh-huh. We were playing and at they, Ronnie Scott's. Okay, and and, and what know, happened? You're, you're jamming? Are you jamming? Oh, yeah, well, this is what happened. So the night before he died, he took me down Soho behind Ronnie Scott's. Okay, and I looked at Jimmy. He's in front. Jimmy, where are you taking? Because he used to hang out with us here in Hollywood. We'd oh, be around right. each other. Okay, Chateau so Marmont. At the Chateau, Chateau Marmont. Marmont. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so this this the nights that stick in my head. Him and I was going down the, in this alley, just him and I in the back of uh, you know, Soho. Mm-hmm. And I looked, he had a floppy hat on. I said, Jimmy, where are you taking me? Come on with me. Come on with me, Harold. I'm going to show you how to eat when you come to Europe. Him and I had chicken tandoori that night. So you had Indian food. Yeah, which right. is always, always good in London. Always exactly. Good. Okay, yeah. so after that, the next night we go and we're playing. We're sitting up there, you know, on stage, and I remember I could see him off to the right, you know, sudden he came in, and Eric came up, and actually there's some recordings on YouTube his last night with us. Wow. Oh, yeah, you can oh. find it. The lads, you just go in there, uh, you know, uh, go to YouTube, uh, Jimi Hendrix, and War Jam or whatever, and it'll yeah, pop we'll, up. We'll put, a, we'll put a link in the show notes to that, to that, uh, that, that clip. I'll yeah. find it. So I'm sitting up there, and then finally – he comes up and jams with us. Eric had him come up. I forget exactly what songs it was. And he was standing over my left shoulder. And I was playing a shuffle. I was going, he's right on my left shoulder. He's whispering in my left ear. Yeah, Brown. Right there, Brown. Right there. And I can look over. I can look over and I can see his right hand over my floor, Tom. Now, you know I'm telling the truth. Because you remember, he's left-handed. Right. Right. And I could see his right hand over my floor tom playing a guitar. And he's standing right behind me, whispering in my left ear, right there, Brown, right there. And I'm playing <laughs> the double shuffle. And then after that was done, we all left, you know, and went on back to, went to where we're going. I remember I went back. And then, I don't know, about 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, I get a call from Eric Burden that he was no longer with us. Mm. Oh, gosh. I know, huh? Oh, well. That that's uh, well. My next question is not going to be very nice. Then I get. I just want to know. You guys had a meal. Uh, I just want to know if Jimi Hendrix was a good tipper. I don't. You know, I don't remember that because it was all in pounds. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we left a pound of meat on the table. No. <laughs> well, I'll but, tell you one. Let me tell you another story, yeah. real quick. Yeah. Okay. Me and Bob Marley. Yeah. We spent a lot of time together. Okay. He wanted me to come to Jamaica, but they wouldn't let me go, uh, you know, management because they thought I was too uh, revolutionist, like Black Pantherish kind of feel. 
Who you were or he was? Well, you know, no, with my attitude, you know, because I was very rigid. Like I told you, they call me fascist sometimes. They call me this and that. Because uh-huh. I was like, you know, but he took to, took to me. He right. wanted me to come down there, Bob Marley. Okay. So last time we were together was in Atlanta. He was standing to my left, and B.B. Dickerson, our bass player, Some World is a Ghetto, was to his left. We're walking down the street. Bob Marley was jabbing me in my left shoulder, lower arm. Brown, Brown, your band like my band. Brown, your band like my, your street band, your street band. I do song for you. I do song for you. Stand up, stand up, stand up for your rights. He took that from slipping in the darkness. Okay. Okay. Slipping into darkness. Bite up, bite up, stand up, stand up, stand up for your rights. That's where it came from. Wow. That's, that's fucking cool. That's so cool, man. That is so cool. That, that's how you know you're foundational, Harold. You know, when when uh, other music that that people see as foundational is really based on your your music. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but, but a lot of people. I mean, all those rappers that have done our music. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah. Uh, nice and smooth. Poor righteous teachers. Here's one. Uh, Tupac. I remember yeah. we were uh, on a bus back, you know, back east years ago before while he's still living. And he walked past everybody and walked to me and shook my hand and hugged me. And nice. then he left. I found out from his bass player after he died, his bass player was hanging out with my son, Daryl, over in Japan. The other one I told you, a drummer and a tech head. Mm-hmm. He's a tech okay. Yeah. He, his bass player got on the phone and says, Mr. Brown, I thought I'd never be able to tell you this story. We were doing a uh, uh, doing Tupac's last album, and he wanted you to play that "Slipping in the Darkness" groove on his album. Yeah, and I then you know boom because so many people use our stuff. Yeah, a lot of people, you know. Now, have yeah. you gotten pay- have y'all gotten paid for all that? I know you're very on top of things. So, have, have you had a problem uh, collecting uh, royalties for all those samples that get get used? Uh, from no, we've from gotten those- lucky. We were lucky, like I just said, if you Google China, or don't go to YouTube and get China, uh, Ozuna and a bunch of other guys, and that sucker sold over, you know, doing about three hundred million or something downloaded. Wow. <laughs> so and well, we that's paid. fantastic, man. That's that's such a, a happy story because so many times, you know, guys don't uh, aren't aren't reaping the rewards of of the great work that they did. So it's well, it's, that's because uh, a lot of musicians don't study. See, when I gave up that full scholarship, I started by getting me books, reading the music buzz, business. Right now, I'm reading another one, Donald Passman. I know him. And I'm, yeah. I'm reading that because they want to get into the music business, but you don't know how it works like sound exchange. I, I signed up everybody for that. I've had people, I walk in the office, you know, up there in Beverly Hills, they look at me, hey, we'll make sure you get your money direct. I say, no, whatever you pay me, you're paying everybody else, the rest of the guys. Yeah, yep. that's where I was brought up. Right, right. Well, you know that that kind of integrity that really means something over a career too. Because people, you know, when it comes down to, well, I could work with this guy or fuck this guy, they're like, no, no, Harold's a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I get yes. the guys paid. And to this day, we, you know, we're all getting paid, except for a couple. You know, Papa D. You know, when he died, he didn't teach his kids the music business and stuff. And a lot of people get caught up in. You know, in the bling bling world, you know, it's good to just stay low key, humble, 
and humble. Yes. I have a saying, you know, I read years ago, it's far greater to have your name written on people's hearts than in stone. Hmm. Wow, man. That's, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, a, that's fantastic advice, man. Jesus. It's, uh... Oh, yeah. And, and then another one, I like Chief Joseph, Nez Pierce Indians. Does not require many words to speak the truth. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes or no. <laughs> right. Well, I, I've always thought of this. I, I Someone told me this years ago about, you know, as an entertainer or try, a performer or whatever, that uh, um, uh, writing is free. It's free to write. All it takes is a piece of paper and some a pencil, and you can write anything you want. And, but, and no one can stop you do, from doing that, you know. And if your writing makes money after a while, then good for you, you know. Uh, 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 but, Harold, I want to touch on one last thing because I think we got a podcast here. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a great. And, and I, think, I think this is one of our part two guys. Oh, that'd be fantastic, man. I yeah, Harold, Harold over, the, over the past 100 or so shows that we've done, we've had a handful of guests that uh, deserve a part two. Mm. You yes. Know? You know, and, and I think you're one of them. Uh-oh. Absolutely. I, I, <laughs> I big uh, and break, we, Harold. <laughs> well, there's so much to touch on. We, we've oh, yeah. On. Yeah, we just skimmed the surface so far. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. Just skimmed, and I want to interview some of those birds. Right. You know? oh, no, just, no. They have a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> I used but, to have one. He used to sit there, oh, bark like a dog, or he started t- imitating you. <laughs> but you touched on uh, uh, the Chateau Marmont. Right. And that hotel is such a famous place for Ooh, Hollywood lore. I know it. And, and it, you touched on how you used to jam with the drums and pots and pans. Right. In one, in one of the bungalows in the back. Or yeah, up in the back, the- yeah. Jimmy would be sitting there. And- yeah. Yeah, and, and I remember because as a young kid, you heard so many stories about rock bands there, but how private it was. It was so private, that place. I mean, it, it, they would not let you in at all if you were not, you know, getting a room or a bungalow and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, well, we had a bungalow up in the back. Uh, Steve Gold uh-huh. and Jerry Goldstein, they had one there, and we would go up there, and that's where I would see, you know, uh, different people would come in. Uh, wow. Right. But, you know, but then I go back and I think about a lot of people I've been around when I just think about New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron Neville, Cindy Lauper. Right. Well, I remember she used to come to my studio and rehearse. Uh, (laughs) Me and my friends back in the the late 80s, early 90s, uh, like I had a friend of mine, we'd go to Hollywood Park Racetrack. And if we did really well at the track on the horses, we'd go to either we'd go to Vegas or we'd go to the Chateau Marmont and get a bungalow and have a huge party, you know? And it was so cool because you could have this huge party in a bungalow and if for some reason no one would disturb you. There would be like no complaints, no matter how loud it was or anything like that. You could have a party. I mean, it could be a crazy ass fucking loud party, but yet no one would complain. And I, and I don't know if that's the Chateau Marmont's policy or just their mystique. It just, they were, it, it was just weird for some reason. Oh, they just had that kind of, that was just that part of it. They expected it. But then yeah. when you start thinking about the earlier 
Hollywood stars. <laughs> Don't think they was just all nice and pritzy pritzy. Oh, yeah, I no, never, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, they were real. To the 30s, I ran yeah, into a lot of depravity. Yeah, I remember running in different ones, but I, you know, when I go to thinking about all the different ones that have been around, you know, it's it's amazing the people because sometimes they just come back to me. Yeah, we actually spent time, and I said, "Dang, we're actually together. We actually right. spent good time together." Yeah, yeah, Spencer Tracy, those kind of people. I don't know. Oh I'm yeah. Just, throwing that out there <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well listen renee it's it's i think we've got a podcast yeah here. i think so. I, it, it feels it feels about like that you know well thank you so much harold for you've been a fantastic guest and we'd love to have you on uh, sometime in the future you know uh, i know you guys still have you know you're telling me you're just talking with lee oscar your bandmate uh, just before you broke away from the great lee oscar to do this podcast thank you you guys still have new new music coming out that's wonderful and and uh it's so exciting and and uh, you know I'm not surprised because, you know, the kind of person you are, you deserve all of this. Um, so, uh, you know, Manny, uh, as we like to say in the troubled nation, uh, what do we say? We say trouble never ends. But Whoa. the struggle continues. <laughs> the struggle does continue. Thank you, Harold. You've been fabulous, really. And, and we're going to talk again real soon. Soon, soon, soon. And all you young folks out there, read about the music business so you know how to protect yourself, so you know what to look out for. Look out for that trouble. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Amen to that. All right. Good, Good night. night. <laughs>